The Smiley J Artist Zone podcast is an engaging and insightful platform designed to celebrate and explore the world of artistry in all its forms. Hosted by Smiley J, a passionate advocate for the arts, this podcast offers a vibrant and inclusive space where artists from various disciplines can share their experiences, insights, and creative journeys. Listeners can expect a diverse range of topics discussed on the podcast from artist interviews, their creative process, and other fun questions for those inquiring musical minds. Best Book Bits podcast brings you Wendy Bourne, a highly experienced corporate coach with over 25 years of experience in business development and management. She works with executives, senior leaders, and leadership teams. She's the author of The Languages of Leadership and Raising Leaders. Wendy, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Every time I hear an introduction, I think, who is he talking about? <laughs> a fellow Melbourneian, I believe. Is that correct? Sure, sure. It's good to interview someone in my own backyard, which is great for once. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where have you always been sort of born and raised in Melbourne? And sort of what was your early years like, your studying and everything that came after that as well? I um, So I was born in Melbourne, but I grew up in Cairns. Uh, which is in North Queensland, and I um, grew up uh, just a, any normal teenager. My um, father passed away when I was young, and uh, then my mother had two subsequent husbands, which I talk about in my book and, and refer to them as my uh, first real experiences with leadership. Um, then I left grade 10, left school at grade 10, or year 10, as they say in Victoria. And um, I did a trade and um, then I left school because I hated it. Uh, I hated learning and I hated everything about school. And then through my trade, I found how wonderful and different education can be through uh, uh, tertiary education like TAFE. And so, so through that, I then uh, went on and did a diploma in finance, and then from there I went to university and um, and did a degree in human resources, and also went to Harvard as a, a throughout my career. So um, I always find it interesting how people's careers can take so many different paths, and it's not always, you know, the the standard path that we take mm. correct some of the some of the best teachers were the worst students but in their after school finished they realized the real education started then when you wanted to learn something not when you're forced to learn something so it's not that we don't like learning it's just we don't know what we like to learn until we realize what we're passionate about tell us a little bit about your background in the corporate area and what you've done sort of work-wise up until now and then we can jump and deep dive into the books I um, worked uh, for 25 years uh, with a large corporate uh, and through that learnt a great deal about people and behaviour and leadership uh, and the majority of my career was working either on leadership teams or with leadership teams as, as a partner to them and so yeah that gave me a really solid foundation in the good, the bad and the ugly of leadership and what that looks like. Mm. understand and your books when was the first one written the first book uh the languages of leadership was published in 2018 
and then my second book was published in 2020. Uh, and that one won a couple of, or oh, was shortlisted in the Australian Business Book Awards, which was very exciting. Yeah, beautiful. And what's what's it? What's the first one about? Uh, yes, yeah. So it's about the languages of leadership, which is around six core uh, languages, which is I refer to languages uh, your words, actions, and behaviours. Uh, and so if you can master these six languages, you um, can basically lead anyone. Uh, and so they are courage. So having the courage to actually stand up for what you believe in and stand and take a stand if you need to. Uh, strength. So having the strength to make decisions or make the tough calls. Um, engineering, which is around maneuvering your environment or your situation to get good outcomes. Um, abdication, which is around stepping back or knowing when to step back and let your people actually step in and step forward. Uh, trust, uh, having a foundation of trust and being able to build trust as well as be trustworthy. And then finally, vulnerability. So, you know, being able to be vulnerable when you need to um, and, uh, and, and what that creates when you are is is a really powerful thing yeah amazing yeah so courage strength engineering adaptation trust and vulnerability as well we'll deep dive into some of those too but in the book one of the similarities you talk about is between obviously your team managing a team and your children as well very uncanny so can you talk about that experience of bringing up children also managing teams and the similarities what happens with raising the family and also raising a team as well so in my second book, which is called Raising Leaders, it's around very much the similarities between raising children and leading a team of people. And um, having, I have two teenagers and uh, it struck me that uh, as I was going out to work, the similarities between what I would hear at home and and the things that um, my kids would say to me. And then you'd go to work and it'd almost be the same things that your kids would say, or sorry, that your team members would say to you. And so I reflected on growing up and, you know, the, you know, your parents are typically your first um, experience with leaders and your first leadership uh, experience. And so, um, so I, I drew it down to five core things that exist in any family that you can actually uh, create in your team environment. Yeah, and we'll jump into it. So yeah, the subtitle of the book is Using the Principle of Parenting at Work to Become a Great Leader and Create Great Leaders as well. You talk about the opposite of deja vu. It's called deja, what is it? Vecu. What is that for people listening? I'm not very French. <laughs> That's okay. What, what does that mean? So deja vu is um, when you experience a similar thing. So deja vu is, um, there's a subtle difference between the two, but that's when you kind of have, um, uh, you, you, you recall something that has, has occurred or something is similar to something that you've done before. Whereas deja vu is where you've actually experienced the same thing in a different setting. So 
Yeah. I really, really like that, reading that in the book, and have already lived through an experience of, I like to call that, I've seen this movie before, and I know this particular path and where it ends. So I guess that does come with experience, where deja vu, it's, you have a feeling, but this is a knowing. In the book as well, you talk about transference, and what that means is, you know, there's many types of transference, and one of the examples you give is someone who's married can display similar behavior patterns or another significant influence in their life as well. Can we go through some of the different types of transferences, which is, you know, paternal, maternal, siblings, and non-familial as well? So talk about transference. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's fascinating. Um, as I was doing my research for my book, it was, it was absolutely fascinating to read about this transference. And you look back and think, oh, yeah, I can see bits of that every now and again. Um, often we see when um, you have relationships at work, if, for example, you have a senior male that potentially you have a work relationship uh, with sometimes we can look at those uh, say that for example that senior male as a father figure in our life and so we almost transfer the same relationship that we have with our father onto this person at work and the same could apply to your siblings so if you have a competitive relationship with your siblings say and you could actually have a uh, a competitive nature or relationship with your peers at work. So you kind of then develop this uh, sibling, almost sibling rivalry in the work setting. So so it's, it's very much around transferring those relationships or taking them from our home life to our work life. And when you think about it, if you think about all the relationships that you've had with people over the years at work, you can kind of see how you look on people with at work with those kind of relationships. I mean, I, I remember having a joke with a friend of mine who I used to call my work husband <laughs> because he was just, you know, we just got on so well and, and it was like having your, your husband at work. So it's an interesting concept where people do say, oh, they're my they're my work husband, my work wife, or, you know, we, we transfer these family and friends ideals to people with co colleagues as well in the workplace. But I also like to see it as a, a little bit of a glitch in the matrix too, because you might, you know who you are, but to everyone else, you actually exist differently in the minds of other people. So every single person that knows you, they know a version of you or the version that they've made up in their mind who they think you are, but it's actually a, a stark distance of who you actually are as well. And we do this to other people too. So, you know, in science, heuristics, we have shortcuts in our brains where we actually label people unconsciously. Oh, that person reminds me of that person or that person reminds me of that person. And we think they should act the way they act and we basically just categorize people. So I think where this transference, when I was reading the book and you're talking about transference, this is what I was thinking about, how we label people when we look at someone as a father figure or a maternal, when you look at someone as a mother or a sibling, you look at someone as a brother or sister. And yeah, very, very interesting as well. Moving on, you talk about using your site and there's obviously different stuff using your site. You talk about Stephen Covey says, if you want to be trusted, be trustworthy. And the same applies here as well. Can you talk about using your site and what you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. So I think there's a really, as leaders, there's a really good way to actually use 
what uh, the site that you have and by site I mean insight so what insight do you already have about a personal situation and 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 how can you you use that knowledge to get the best out of that person or this or the situation then there's plain sight so what is in plain sight of you that is obvious and that you can use for this person or the situation so what's available for you to use and then foresight so what do I need to do or plan for in the future um, or what do I need to put in place in now for the future so those three things insight plain sight and foresight is it, if you wrap those lenses around everything it gives you some really great in you know information yeah, absolutely. And just to recap the notes I got from that, yeah, insight into both yourself and those you'll need to create trust and connection as the foundation of your team. Plain sight to see what's in front of you and within your control as you practice good leadership and you basically establish boundaries and expectations and create a culture of accountability with the people. And then, yeah, foresight basically got to do with purpose, strategy, and a vision to guide a way into the future for you and your team as well. So, yeah, great, great stuff through there. And, and again, it all comes back to raising raising children. Talk about your experience with children. How many children do you have? How old are they? And uh, what was the early years like? I've got a one-year-old and a three-year-old, so I'm going through those early parenting things. I'm looking forward to they get a bit older. So can you talk about raising children and what's that? what was that like? Yes, I used to say I was looking forward to them getting older until they got older. <laughs> about about three the attitude gene kicks in and it's all downhill from there <laughs> yeah i've got that i've got that one i've got that one but uh yeah what what is the similarities that you found early on uh, for young children especially yeah <laughs> i know yeah so well so um so i have a 15 year old and a 13 year old um and uh, they have been challenging in so many ways, both in good and less more less good challenges. Um, but it's it's interesting because it's when, when you think about the fundamentals of um, a family and what you try to instill in a family, they you can in, apply those to the workforce so uh, so for your work team so for example the first concept is around love okay so the foundation of every family unit is typically love and so how do we bring love in at work well that looks like connection so having a connection with our people having developing a mutual respect for each other but also forgiveness because, you know, we, and I use the example in my book around um, Israel Folau was a, is a footballer in Australia who made some really terrible comments around, um, they were homophobic comments. And so the world just, you know, pounces on him and, and we all, and it's this all council, uh, cancel culture that we're experiencing. And, but I say that, you know, if, if my son came home and started making those comments, I, I, I mean, you can't cancel your family. So I, I would say, well, tell me more about that. Tell me why you, why you think that way and what's driving this behind it. And, and so asking more and being more forgiving 
around other people's views and opinions, I think helps us to understand each other more and and learn from others' perspectives. And we can't all have the same view. It's just not neurologically how we are. And so I think we need to find more forgiveness and and understanding, even if we don't agree with it. Does that make sense? Yeah, definitely, definitely. One of the things I got from that is, you know, as a, as a parent or a leader, and we've all had bad leaders and good leaders as well, but sometimes they can resort to strategies like yelling and scoldering your people, similar to kids as well. And, and it, being a parent now, I can understand we want the best for our kids. Managers and leaders want the best for their business and their employees as well, meaning we want the best result. So to get the best result, whether that be getting the, you know, just getting the result can sometimes lead to frustration and stress. And then we take that out as yelling and scolding, but we still love that person. We still trust that person, but how we show it is, is, is quite different. Absolutely. And don't get me wrong. I'm the first to yell at my kids, but you know, I will also apologize and say, you know, that probably wasn't the best way of, of handling it, um, which is, is it another thing around, you know, connection and respect and forgiveness is actually being able to say, oh, yeah, I got it wrong. And the, and the biggest thing at the moment in the world or any problem, it all stems from a lack of communication, whether it be secrets, it's just communications, knowledge, hidden It's just the whole world is based on communication, false communication, what real communication, heart to heart communication. So anyway, but that's we could you could write a book on that as well. Yeah, mo- moving on uh, in the book, you talk about sort of what have we become? We live a life of frustration in an environment that's you know unaccountable, unsupportive, uncollaborative, and your stress levels increase. Can you talk a little bit about that as well? Yeah, yeah. So the next. Um, uh, concept is around environment and this is around making sure so at home we we want to make sure that our kids are in a physical physically safe environment as well as a psychologically safe environment and we also set expectations and consequences for our kids and the same applies at work we want to make sure that we have an environment that is physically safe as well as psychologically safe. People are free to be able to voice their views and opinions without fear of retribution or judgment. Um, So that's that whole Amy Cuddy psychological safety piece. But then also we need to make sure that our expectations of our people are absolutely crystal clear. And, And if they don't meet those expectations, what are the consequences for both them as well as the family or the team as a whole? And there are consequences. You know, my my son has done things over his life that have had consequences on the family unit. And it's the same with a team member. You know, sometimes our team members do things that, you know, just impact the broader team. And so how do we actually manage that and how do we make sure that the consequences of that kind of behavior is is clear and people are held accountable yeah definitely well said and one of one of the things you talk about in the book as well knowing that they are going to make mistakes in the future as well and and understanding that there are going to be times where there's going to be some hard conversations and you know a little bit of tough love as well which is great one of the great quotes i got from the book what you wrote was when you make small changes to the way you are the things you say, how you behave and what you do, these add up to significant changes over time. Through focused effort on small improvements, we can actually impact more broadly on our world. 
Absolutely. And, you know, I always say to particularly my coaching clients that the only thing, the only thing that you have control of are your words, actions and behaviours. You cannot control any of your people or your peers or your leaders that you report to. But if you change the way you respond, you'll end up getting a different outcome. And and that in itself is empowering because it then gives you a perspective that, well, if I change the way I respond, I might get a different outcome. So how can I respond differently to this situation that I'm in or, or that situation that could have been better or, or whatever? Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. And taking a step back as well, I mean, leadership is changing and management styles are changing now over the world where people are now putting kindness, compassion and empathy on a higher level than gone are the days where a society of hard-ass, judgmental and inconsiderate pricks as you write and and how employees and people are looking for this as well and as you said before a foundation of love forgiveness connection and an environment of safe space as well is there anything you want to talk about about kindness compassion and empathy and how that's now leaking into the environment and people are seeking out leaders and managers who have those qualities well it's it's yeah so it's interesting you say that because there has been a study done of organizations where the ceo has a level of compassion compared to ceos that don't and the ceos that have compassion their organizations outperform the organizations where the ceo doesn't have compassion by 500 percent now if that's not proof enough i don't know what is it's just you know you if you if it stems from the top and compassion and empathy and all of these wonderful eq behaviors are evident it flows down through the organization and people your discretionary effort of your people increases but also so does your productivity your engagement your innovation and um your safety everything flows through to it it's incredible it is yeah tell me what are some of the ways that we can improve sightseeing as as leaders in companies with people as well so um I, I, um i'm always kind of conscious of using the word word mindfulness because sometimes people think it's a bit yeah woo woo but to me it's around being mindful of what's going on so stopping taking a breath and stepping back and actually observing looking around you what's going on what's within what do I know already what's within my plain sight and then what do I need to think about and as leaders we need to set aside thinking time you know time to actually step back and do this analysis in a quiet space that allows us to focus and actually think because too, too much time spent running around, putting fires out and, and doing all the work stuff instead of actually doing what leaders should do, and that's think. And one of the, one of the notes I got that from that, 15 minutes of sightseeing a day of just spending time to do that increases performance by 23%. Which is, which is no, it's a good investment. It's a no-brainer. Moving on, one of the stories you talk about in Chapter 2 is life imitating leadership. And you talk about the Queen, and I say the Queen of Australia, yeah, uh, Queen Elizabeth, 
Do you want to talk a little bit about her leadership? But I'll just start. Born in 1926, her obviously... Uncle abdicated the throne in 1936, King Edward, and then she was she became second in line at the age of 14. She gave her first speech, and then she went into the Second World War as a expert driver and mechanic alongside British women. Then her father was made king, and in preparation for the future role as a queen, she studied constitutional history and law and received lessons in religion from the Archbishop of Canterbury. Following the death of her father, King George, in 1952, she was crowned Queen Elizabeth II on 2nd of June, 1953, at the age of 27. Now we're 2022, and she must be mid-90s. So talk a little bit about the leadership style and, and what you meant and what you wrote in the book about her. Well, you know, look, like her or loathe her, whether you're a monarchist or not, You've got to admit she's a pretty incredible woman. You know, she she has dealt with so much and, you know, her family seemed to let her down in all different ways, shapes and sizes. And But she maintains this level of dignity and self-respect and she has a way forward and she she also knows her purpose. She knows why she is here and everything around that purpose guides her decisions and what she has to do. And she has a tremendous sense of duty. So I kind of think like your purpose should be like your rudder of your boat. It directs where you're going. And during times of um, uh, conflict or or times of uncertainty, you should always go back to your purpose and allow that to drive how you make your decisions. And I think she's a walking example of having a clear purpose and a strategic goal. And, you know, she's forgiving of her kids, obviously, because we're parents and, you know, that just comes with the job. And, but she's able to, um, you know, manage her stakeholders in a in a way that's incredible and she's just to me she's just an amazing woman and the epitome of a mother and and a and a leader as well yeah it was interesting you writing about her and reading it and i didn't didn't think about it that way until i actually read it and actually looked at the the facts of the matter as well so very interesting when you combine that with leadership as well so definitely leading a large portion of the world in terms of her as you said, purpose, it's, it's, isn't it interesting that the yin and yang of life is purpose because it all starts with purpose and then the, the yang or the yin is, is vision. And vision is all, you're never going to hit your vision and you're always going to use, come back to your purpose to use as, you know, a slingshot. You pull back on purpose to accelerate forward to hit your vision. And in the middle of that is made up of life. So they're two things that are on the opposite spectrum, but you use those, use that spectrum to propel you forward as well. And another note I got in the book with Raising Leaders, you talk about the, the pyramid of the core areas of leadership and down the bottom, you do have that foundation of love and then stacked on top of that is environment and then stacked on that again is health, language and vision. So that's where I sort of got the idea of purpose first and then at the top is vision too. Now, one of the cool things in the in the following table, you outline the five levels of leadership and you provide more details on how each level relates to the people that you lead. Now, understand starting from the bottom is baby. So you're dependent, which is like the value minus 100. Then you go to a toddler, you're finding your way and you need some guidance, a child, you become independent with direction. And similar to employees, which we're going to get to. Teenager, you're taking risks, being independent, find your own way. And as an adult, you're in control 
leading the way and kicking goals. What do you? How do you relate that to teams and, and managing the leadership as well? Absolutely. Well, when you think about at the beginning of your career, you come in and you know you're very uncertain and you need a lot of guidance and you know you're not sure how which way to go. But then you kind of progress up through. Um, through childhood or or the next level where you're taking more risks and you're kind of finding a little bit more around what you're capable of and and so you continue to develop then as you progress up say it to a teenager you are taking more risks you a little bit kind of can be a bit you know rah-rah at times and but you're you're kind of coming into yourself and you're developing and and growing and then as you become a young adult or uh, a higher leader you get more experience and you learn a lot through leading other people and then when you get to a senior management or an adult level you you uh you, you know you've got the scars you've learnt from your experience you 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 um can apply that more strategically and so you are you, you develop throughout your career like you do throughout your life only in a shorter time now well said and it just reminds me of when you start with baby the baby sits there puts her arms up to say pick me up and everyone needs a hand up. And as adults, you put your hand down to pick up. And as leaders as well, you're there to, to, to what what you say in the book, leveling people up. So you get to an age of maturity where you realize that your mission is to pull people up to the level that you're up or even surpass that level as well because people brought you up and leveled you up as well. And it's just that cycle of everyone needs a hand. And, you know, at times in life, we need a hand, but you know, if we spend most of our time trying to reach down and pull people up, we'll definitely have enough people on our side to pull us up when we get down as well. Now, you talk about ways to make connections between parenting and leading as well. Is there any other insights you want to give the audience about that before we move on to the other one? So there's health. Do you want me to... Yeah, so health. Um, so we want our kids and our families to be healthy, both physically and mentally. And so... Um, you know, the same applies with our team. And research shows that there's a positive correlation between health-focused workplaces and engagement, innovation, and productivity. So where where you've got a healthy-focused workplace, you know, the benefits are, are, have been proven. So health is the third one. Then there's language. So, and this refers back to my first book around languages of leadership. Because, you know, as parents, we're always on show. And how many times have you heard your kids repeat what you say or do what you do, usually at the most inopportune time uh, in front of, you know, people that you really don't want to hear it. And it's the same with its leaders in the workplace. You know, we're always on show and people will mimic our behaviours and our words. So if we, if we use poor behaviours, and poor choices of words, our people will use those both internally and outside of your team, which, you know, can have good or bad um, 
repercussions. Segways into the Ask Matrix, where you talk about awareness of yourself. And you said before, you know, seek. we haven't touched on that yet. Uh, we'll go on seeking information, but knowing your language as well. Can you talk about the Ask Matrix and what that means? Yeah. So uh, having awareness about, you know, what what you're doing and what's going on uh, is, is critical. And it kind of comes back to, um, you know, the, uh, being aware of your... Um, doing the reflection and uh, being aware of of your own words, actions, and behaviours is um, is you know critical for any leader and parent really when you think about it. Um, seek information comes back to the asking. So um, uh, the fifth habit of uh, Stephen Covey's is to ask first. Or seek first to understand before being understood and so this is around asking questions and but asking questions throughout your organization because often people who are doing the work have the best ideas and can come up with really great solutions to our problems but we just don't ask and and you know if, if we did maybe you know we might learn something yeah, you, and, and being a leader as well is understanding that you don't have all the answers and sometimes people on the on the front line have, have the right answer because they're in the trenches and can think of things differently as well. Another great point that you make in the book, you talk about understanding your unconscious biases and your blind spots as well. Is there anything you want to add on to that with your blind spots and unconscious biases? So look, it's human nature to have our own... Um, biases because our brain that's the way our brain works we put things into buckets because it's just a natural sorting it's a neurological process that every brain does the key though is to be aware of just which buckets we are putting things into because then when somebody is in that bucket and we have that view of them we can kind of take a step back and think, well, is this right? Am I giving this person or this situation its due consideration without overlaying the bucket I've put it in or the bias I have towards it? Moving on to uh, chapter five, and I've, I know if I skipped the environment one, we touched on that before with psychological safety and creating that you know environment where people can have open debates and just being able to be themselves as well. But talk a little bit about how important it is to build, especially in teams, you talk about diet, exercise, mindset as well, and having a healthy culture as well. Can you expand on some of the, the benefits of that? Yeah, yeah. I used to, um, I did some work for an organization where, um, once a month, they used to come together as a as a whole organization. There was 200 in the organization and they used to, everybody brought lunch and they used to sit around and have lunch together. And the amazing thing, they, it was somebody's idea, but they, they and they didn't kind of think anything more other than, isn't this a good idea? But the actual um, consequences that came out of that or the repercussions that came out of that is that everybody stopped had lunch but actually spoke to people that they you know sat on the other side of the building or or they didn't really know and all of a sudden they're getting to know each other and they're having these really great conversations and what they found was that it lifted the mental health and the morale of the team so 
it's this kind of healthy habits. So taking time to have lunch, taking time to get to know each other, taking time to come in late one morning if you're a leader or leave early to go and pick up your kids one day or two days. And and what this shows our team is that, you know, we have a good work-life balance. We do have a life and we have other priorities and that's okay. You can too. And so, so making sure that you build this into the way that you operate and it just has flow-on uh, impacts more broadly, both to your team and your organisation. It's incredible. The, I recently started a, a new job in a new environment as well, and I can tell you that's totally different from the other environment as well, but it's, it just goes to show how you can see, especially if you're consulting in different workplaces, different environments, you can see how some people operate and some people don't, and you might know better ways to you know, increase health of a culture in an organization as well too. Yeah, moving on, chapter six, you talk about, you know, language, what you show as well. And if our parents are our first leaders in life, you know, most of the role, most of the role models are less than ideal as, as we all know, our parents were not perfect, uh, but their words, actions, behaviors sort of, you know, made us the characters and moral fiber of who we are as well. And you talk about the book about your upbringing as well. Is there any light that you want to shed on that or anything we could do to improve our language with, you know, our kids and uh, the people that we manage as well? Yeah. So I, um, as I said earlier, my dad died when I was seven and my mum remarried and to a man that was physically abusive towards her. Um, and so I was quite young at this time, around eight or nine, and um, and you know it was a it was a horrible environment to be in. So eventually she left him, and then she her third husband was he treated her so he wasn't physically abusive, but psychologically he was a bit of a prick. And so you know he, it was very much the if he raises his voice then, you know, everybody needs to jump. And again, and so, uh, you know, I spent the majority of my teenage years crying because of being yelled at or being told that I was stupid and, uh, you know, wasn't uh, uh, wasn't worth anything. And, and so, you know, the, the impact that this kind of behavior has on the rest of your life is significant. And it's the same with leaders. If we have, I can guarantee you that if I said to you, think of the worst leader you've ever had, and I can guarantee you that person will be crystal clear in your mind because you never forget them, yeah? But it's the same with the best leaders that you've ever had. They really stand in your mind and they just have something that is incredible. And so, how do we make sure that as leaders we leave a legacy of that good leadership example and that our people remember us forever as influential and you know somebody who did said the right things actions and behaviors were aligned to their words and and they were just a you know a great leader instead of the bad stuff yeah, and the old adage goes, you know, people don't leave bad jobs, they leave bad leaders and 
bad managers as well. Wrapping up with the book, you talk about creating a vision, a strategy combined with purpose, you know, the, the, the quadrangle, you know, purpose, you've got aimless down the bottom, strategy on the right, spontaneous. You talk about anarchy, adrift, absent, aspiration. What do you mean by all this with creating a vision and how does it all work? So, you know, depending on, um, you know, where we are, it, it, it can we can create all sorts of different environments. And, you know, with a, when we have a vision, we need to create a picture that is crystal clear and we need to bring it down to as if you were talking to your grandmother about it. And that's how, so if your grandma doesn't understand your vision, then you shouldn't be talking in the language that you're using. So every single person in your organization should be able to say to you, repeat back to you what the vision of the organization is. And they should also be able to link what they do on a day-to-day basis to that vision. And if they can't, then there's a problem. And and if if they can't, you just you create confusion and you know anarchy and 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 it you just lose your way. It's it's it, I mean you don't have to look far to to find examples of of teams that that are like that and organisations that are like that. And and research shows that you know um, there's only about something like ten percent of people can actually recite what the vision of their organization is and how it links to their job which isn't good percentage yet no it's definitely not and the sweet spot i guess it's a combination of making sure the purpose is in line with the strategy as well so that's the biggest thing everyone can have a purpose but you have to have a strategy or a plan behind the purpose unless it's just an aimless purpose it's just it's just words and no action as well but wendy where 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 can people sort of buy the book find you online follow you socially where do you hang out and where can people buy the book yeah well i hang out at my place but i have a website wendyborn.com.au um and you can buy my book from amazon or booktopia any of the online bookstores uh has it for sale so you just google it and and it'll come up so raising leaders and or um, the languages of leadership. Beautiful, beautiful. Well, Wendy, thank you for being a guest on the Best Book Bits podcast. I've really enjoyed this conversation. And to my audience out there, go buy the book, check out Wendy's stuff as well. She does some great stuff. So again, thanks for being a guest and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you.